From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Descher, and this is Heritage Explains. Remember election night 2018? Democrats will take back control of the House of Representatives. This ends the Republican monopoly in Washington. It gives Democrats power and the power to launch investigations. CNN can now project that Democrats will win the majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. Jake, uh, this is a huge win for the Democrats, a huge setback for the president and for the Republicans. Democrats have taken control of the House Representatives, ABC News can project. We've also projected that the Republicans will keep control of the Senate here in the 2018 midterm elections, a split decision. Everyone knew change was coming, and boy, were they right. There's a very real prospect that uh, on the day Donald Trump leaves office, the Justice Department uh, may indict him, uh, that he may be the first president uh, in quite some time to face the real prospect of jail time. This is part of a broader pattern of potential misconduct by the president. And it's that broad pattern, I think, that will lead us to a conclusion about whether it rises to the level to warrant removal from office. This president, in my estimation, has done everything possible uh, to certainly uh, be eligible for impeachment. And so I really do think that it should be started. I think there have been a couple of attempts, uh, certainly, that did not, uh, you know, win uh, support uh, because the Republicans were in charge of, uh, you know, both houses. But now I do believe that impeachment should begin. First of all, it's just plain wrong. The idea that we're going to somehow lose economic activity, as a matter of fact, uh, it's not just possible that we will create jobs and economic activity by, tr- by uh, transitioning to renewable energy, but it's inevitable that we are going to create jobs. It's inevitable that we're going to create industry. And it's inevitable that we can use the transition to 100% renewable energy as the vehicle to truly deliver and establish economic, social, and racial justice in the United States of America. And then things got downright ugly from there. The president certainly didn't invent racism, but he certainly given a voice to it and expanded it and created a platform for those things. Do you believe President Trump is a racist? Yeah, yeah, no question. I mean, I think there isn't a debate about whether um, Trump is a racist. Um, I think he, he, he fits into every, every ism. And when your son looks at you and says, Mama, look, you won, Bullies don't win. And I said, baby, they don't. Because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach the mother I heard about an event last week hosted by far left-wing groups gathering to celebrate Democrats taking control of the House of Representatives. They advertised several members of Congress attending, including Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Maxine Waters, Hank Johnson, and Rashida Tlaib. So I said, why not make it a date night? After all, what's more romantic than liberal policies? My wife and I got in line, and we were lucky enough to get in the very crowded room. It was positive, uplifting, and when they talked about passing policy, every agenda item was a sure bet. It was almost as if 
all opposition had been defeated. It was a hopeful and winning posture. It all sounded good until you actually listened to what they were saying. Every single policy idea was straight from the far left. Issues like Medicare for all, abolishing ICE, anti-Israel rhetoric, tax hikes for the middle and upper class, free college for all. This was an up-close and personal view of the other side. This was no TV show. This was reality. So with such an infectious, positive message, it's easy to forget that while the left now drives the policy in the House, the right actually gained voices in the Senate. And, of course, President Trump is still in the White House. Conservative policy solutions are not lost, as the left would have you believe. And we continue to have the opportunity to move the Liberty Ball down the field. Tommy Binion is the Vice President of Congressional and Executive Branch Relations here at the Heritage Foundation. He knows the heartbeat of Capitol Hill better than most in Washington. This week, he explains his take on the new Congress, what's at stake, and also what conservatives need to do to push back against the left and win. Tommy, being so involved on the Hill and being in charge of really pushing a lot of heritage agenda to the lawmakers over on Capitol Hill, what was your initial reaction when the Democrats took back the House in November? As in all things, right? There, there's not sort of one overarching reaction. It, 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 it sort of meant three or four different things at the same time. It meant we were going to have divided government. So it meant that there was going to be less at the end of the day that was enacted into law. It meant that uh, the Democrats were going to have a, uh, a, a seat of power, a, a, a real hard constitutional power now, a, a foothold in Washington, a base from which to work. It meant that that was going to be investigations and oversight over the Trump administration. So life was going to change for the Trump administration, um, not overwhelmingly, but to a pretty big extent. It meant that um, some of their, what I would say, uh, catastrophically bad ideas were now going to become front and center, uh, which can be good or bad. Uh, some Something that would be as devastating as Medicare for all is now going to get a, a full and thorough hearing, and that's going to be good for conservatives because it's going to be exposed for what it is. Um, an absolutely unaffordable program that would transform the nature of our federal government um, and and the country. So uh, it meant a lot of things. It meant that the day-to-day would change a little bit. I, I wouldn't say that it was necessarily an emotional reaction. It, it's more practical. It's more that... Um, the following things about about the Congress are now going to be true. Um, and I would say each one of them has a positive side and a negative side. Um, but I'm an optimist. I'm always looking for the positive side. So, you know, they, yes, they're going to they're going to be able to put their bad ideas on C-SPAN, but we're going to be able to poke holes in them on C-SPAN. Let's talk about new members. There's new members on the on the right and new members on the left. Um, what is your sense uh, from new Republican members and new Democratic members? Sure. Well, I think um, the new, well, we had a new members um, conference. We had a new members orientation uh, here at Heritage. We traditionally host that every two years. There's a lot of optimism. Um, You know, people who run for Congress, this is is true of people on both sides of the aisle. People who run for Congress 
are patriotic individuals who come here to enact change. And you can see it. You can tell in the things they say. They're excited about it. A lot of them made personal sacrifices to get here, and they really mean business. Um, And it really shows up. Uh, We get them one week after they've been elected before anybody else really um, talks to them. They show up at the Heritage Foundation for this two-day conference. So um, it's really – it's actually encouraging and uplifting to hear from them. Um, you know, on the on the Republican side, they they see their job as coming here to enact conservative policy. They they want to come here and cut spending and cut taxes uh, and um, uh, save the United States military and rebuild the United States military and and protect us from uh, threats across the globe. Um, the Democrat side, there's really two types of new members, and that's been really fascinating. Um, there's the one that has shown up in uh, in the news a lot. The, the far progressive wing, and I'm talking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, and and there's you know there's a handful of others there that they really represent the, let's be honest about the terminology here, the socialist part of the Democratic Party. There's a lot of excitement, you know, that they, they have, uh, there are a handful of progressive socialists in this country that are excited about those new members. But the truth is, um, there's a much bigger caucus of Democrats that are coming from districts that used to be represented by Republicans. So this is actually a pretty practical point that you would think follows logically. You know, until four days ago, a week and a half ago, um, you know, the 38 or so Democrats that were that replaced Republicans, they're in districts that are fairly conservative. Uh, So uh, there is this tension uh, between um, some new progressives that are getting a lot of attention in the Democratic caucus and some uh, some 40 almost um, Democrats who represent conservative districts. You hear these words a lot when you turn on any news channel, impeachment, tax returns, Russia, FBI, Mueller. They're, Democrats especially are very vocal about pushing these things, and we all know what they mean now that they have control of the House, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, do you see this as an opportunity for them to capitalize on this? Well, I, I don't know if capitalize is the right word. Um, the Congress has oversight over um, any administration, uh, any presidential administration. Uh, it means that they can investigate the things that they're doing. It means that they can issue subpoenas to get documentation from the uh, administration. It means that they can call secretaries and deputy secretaries and principal staff in to testify or give deposition in front of their committees. Um, and traditionally, both parties have used that oversight function um, to really focus on where there may be scandal or where something may have been done wrong. Um, the Democrats, of course, think that there is lots of fodder for oversight over the Trump administration. Um, this has been their focus even out of power in Washington. Um, is is alleging that he unfairly won the election or that there's been some wrongdoing there. So uh, now they have um, an investigative power by which to sort of expose that. Now, they're, they're on a, um, a high-wire act in terms of investigation, and the first word you said was impeachment. There's a tremendous political downside um, for them uh, overplaying their hand. And if they choose to impeach the president, it would be dramatically overplaying their hand. He's done nothing wrong as far as anybody in this country knows. Um, and to impeach him for what would ostensibly be political reasons would be a political problem for them. I mean, arguably the same thing happened in the 
the Clinton days when he was impeached, it, it backfired on those who pushed right. that. Right. And, and this, I think, would be an even bigger, brighter example of overplaying your hand. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the more that they investigate, the more that they claim scandal, the more that they are going in to incite their base to then incite them to impeach him. Um, so that they're really playing with fire. Um, I think a better choice would be for them to uh, investigate, sure, where, where they where they have uh, reason to investigate, but to work with the president on a legislative agenda. Um, that's a lot less perilous. Tell me more about how Republicans and Trump can win and, and how the Heritage Foundation can win in a climate like this. Are there any routes that you see to victories that we could potentially have? Yeah, and I, I don't, I, I don't know that we should think about it in in terms of of political victories. I think we should think about it in terms of policy victories. Correct. Yes. Um, you know, can we um, maintain the tax cuts that came in uh, a year ago? Um, can we make them permanent? That would go a long way to helping the economy. Can we um, uh, can we enact a, a, a USMCA that that doesn't have some of the drawbacks that the current version does? Can we can we um, cut spending? Can we keep it from going up? Um, you know, all of these would be, I think, policy victories that uh, we need to focus on. And by the way, my school of thought has always been: if you have policy victories, political victories will follow. I don't know that the politicians agree with that, but that's certainly my mindset as somebody who works at a, a policy organization. <laughs> so you think that the Republicans are? steadfast in standing by Trump as he pushes for uh, more money for the border, for border security. How, how do you see this playing out um, with uh, President Trump digging his heels in, saying, uh, we're going to keep this government closed until we get border security, and relying on his uh, supporters in Congress to uh, back him up on that? Do you see that holding strong, or can you see a, 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 a backlash from that? Oh, the numbers change a little bit when you're talking about the president versus the Congress. Um, if you're talking about Republicans versus Democrats, the, it, it's a matter of who has the simple majority in the Congress. When you're talking about the president versus the Congress, the president has a veto. So you need you you know you, you need two thirds to overturn a, ve- uh, a veto, which means you only need one third to sustain a veto. So he doesn't need the entire Republican Party to be with him. He needs one third to be with him. Um, both sides look pretty dug in right now. Um, you know, I, I don't see the end of this shutdown being that one side turned on the other or that Republicans in the Congress turned on the president. I think it's much more likely that there is a compromise or um, somewhere that, that ultimately what is sent to the president's desk is somewhere in between where the two sides are right now. That's, a, I think, a much more likely scenario. By the way, if you listen to the president, and I always believe in listening to the president himself reading his Twitter feed, listening to what he says himself. He sounds committed to seeing this through as long as it takes. And I think if you're trying to analyze uh, what's going to happen, taking the president's word has been a, a, a pretty good predictor of what's going to happen. It sounds like this could go a while. One last question. What are some of Heritage's primary policy goals this year? Well, so um, I, I think uh, you start with um, you start with spending. 
fiscal conservatism, I think, is always on my mind. The last two years have not been necessarily a bright spot for fiscal conservatism. And so that's where I, I would start. Uh, if you assume an infrastructure package is going to move, a, a great step would be making sure that was offset. Um, if you, uh, What has happened every two years over the last six years is um, in response to the Budget Control Act caps, uh, Congress has raised spending dramatically uh, in terms of domestic discretionary spending. I think limiting that or eliminating uh, any increase in domestic discretionary spending would be a great step towards uh, fiscal conservatism. You know, based on what's happening right now, uh, border security is really, really important. And I say that for two reasons, not just because the government is shut down over that subject, but because there is a crisis on our southern border. Um, There is another caravan forming in Honduras now with 15,000 people in it. Uh, We have got a porous border. Um, Not only do people who would illegally immigrate here know that, but people who would do us harm know that. People who want to sell drugs here do that. People who want to traffic human beings know that. It it, it, It is a real crisis for a lot of reasons. So having a secure border, and I'm grateful that we have a president that's committed to that, would be a major policy victory. I'll also say the Democrats um, have been focused on the last few years and they will continue to be focused on election matters. So ensuring that our country has um, election integrity, that everybody has one vote, um, that uh, that we sort of have to play defense against what the left wants to do um, in terms of the Voting Rights Act uh, and, and the policies they want to enact to erode the integrity of our elections – is really, really important. And then, by the way, this has been a, a priority of ours for eight years now and will continue to be repealing Obamacare and replacing it with a conservative solution. We've got a conservative solution called the Health Care Choices Act. Um, it would reduce premiums, uh, for instance, on, on silver plans by 32 percent, um, and it would inject uh, more deregulation on the state levels. This is really, really important. So um, those four areas, uh, starting with spending and, and all the way through on health care. Thank you, Tommy, so much for being here. Really appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode of Heritage Explains. This is our 50th episode. So to those of you with us every week, we want to let you know how much we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Michelle is on next week with a brand new episode. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by Thalia Rampersad. Do conversations about the Supreme Court leave you scratching your head? Then subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a podcast breaking down the cases, personalities, and gossip at the Supreme Court.